There's a reason why that song has stuck around for hundreds of years. Isn't that a great song? I was thinking about this when, I, when we were singing it. I was thinking how hundreds of years from now, people will not be gathering in groups singing Britney Spears songs, you know? <laughs> or Justin Timberlake, or what's Lady Gaga? What's that? What's that? Crazy. Cra- they, won't, they won't gather in groups all around the world, you know, every week and sing that song, you know, sing their songs. But this one, people have been gathering all around the world and singing this song for hundreds of years because it is this timeless message. It is a transformational message. It's a message that when the person who wrote this song received it, wasn't he a, he was a slave trader, right? Completely changed him. The fact that there's a God that loved him despite all those things he had done. And that's what we've been really looking at. I mean, what a perfect song to launch into today. Um, this is what we've been looking at. We've been looking at this message of God that he wants to share with the world and then our, our part in that. Two weeks ago, we started a series called Go Fish. We're continuing it today, and we've got two more weeks of it. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. What we've been looking at is something that Jesus said. When, um, when the book of Matthew was written uh, and it recorded the calling of the disciples, uh, this is what it recorded as some of the very first things that were, were said, said to them, at least as recorded in Matthew. Let's take a look. Here's a passage we've been looking at. Matthew 4, 19. Uh, the first part of it says this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to do what? To fish. I'll send you out to fish for people. Now, there are some things that Jesus said that were specific to the people that he said them to. There were a few things that, that when Jesus was talking, it was specifically for them. This is not one of those things. This is one of these things that's for everybody. This is not something that was just said for a couple individuals to apply in their individual lives. This, this message to go out and fish, this is something for all of us. Um, in fact, it's a family expectation, something that we're, we're all supposed to do. There's a, if you want to pull out your notes today, they're on bright red page, can't miss them. If you could be so kind as to write this down, this is an expectation for all Jesus followers. Followers are to fish. Followers fish. It's as simple and as rich and complex as that. It's a family expectation. Fishing is part of the family business. It always has been. It's a part of being a family. Family members in this family, we fish. In fact, if you go back to ancient writings, um, writings that were shortly after the, the time of, of Jesus, you see uh, people who were more mature believers writing to younger believers saying, this is part of what we do. Here's, um, this is a, from a first century letter. This, this goes way back from a guy named Paul. Many of you have read his words before, his letters. Many of them are, are, are in, contained in our Bible. Here's one thing that a, a mature Christian wrote to, um, to a, a developing Christian. He said this, do the work of an evangelist. And if we could leave that on the screen, I've got some funkiness inserted in there. We'll talk about the funkiness in a little bit. Um, do the work of an evangelist. And again, the this Paul person, there were times where he wrote specific things just for Timothy. He said something like, go get my, remember to bring my cloak and my parchments. That wasn't for all of us, right? That, that was specific to him. This was for all of us. That all of us were to do the work of an evangelist. That's something that we're all supposed to do. Now, Paul didn't speak English. He didn't write in English. In fact, in the first century, I don't think English really was English, was it? I don't know. I'm not a linguist, but anyone know it wasn't? Or you don't know, was it? It wasn't. Okay, so when this was written, English wasn't even English, as at least as we know it today. So he wrote in what language did Paul write in? Greek. 
That's what the funkiness is in there. It's a transliteration of the Greek that he wrote in. And if we want to know what it means to do the work of an evangelist, we've got to know what, what he was really saying, what he was getting at. And I don't know if we can do that without going back to, to some of his, his, um, his language. So what, what he wrote to Timothy was, do the ergon of a uangelistes. Except it probably rolled off his tongue a lot better than that. So do the ergon of the, of the uangelistes. That's what he was told to do. So now y'all have got it? Go in peace, serve the Lord, let's go to our meeting. No, we're going to unpack this a little bit. Okay, here's, uh, here's what it is. Um, let's start with that word, the word, the Greek word for evangelist. Let's take a look at that one. If you look at it, at the transliteration of it, anyone see the word angel in there? That's a clue as to what it means. Um, the word that we, the Greek word that we translate as angel was a word for messenger. And it was a word that you would find other people used back in that day. Uh, it was used in secular sources. It was used in the Bible. It was a word that, that meant messenger. And so we, we understand then this evangelist, evangelist word is only used three times in the, in the whole Bible. And I believe it's only, you can only find it in the Bible, um, if I'm not mistaken, that, that messenger piece kind of clues us into what it, what it, what it means. Um, uh, but it's a, not just any message. The, the message of an evangelist is a very specific message. It's the message of amazing grace, the one we just sang about. It's this message of, of what Jesus did and what God did through him. So the message of evangelist is a very specific message. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That is the unique message of an evangelist. That's what separates you from other messengers. So that's what the message is, but how do you do the work of an evangelist? Especially in our culture. How do you do the work of an evangelist in a way that actually works? And I think it's different than what I've been taught. Um, trying to persuade others in our culture to put their trust in Jesus. That's one of the big no-nos in our culture. We talked about that last week. I won't elaborate much, but I want, what I do want to add is the thought that occurred to me this week was how ironic is it that we are in a capitalistic, democratic culture where persuasion is everything. Our economic system is based on persuasion. Our political pers- um, system is based on persuasion, but we can't openly talk about Jesus. I find that ironic. You know, But back on point, let's talk about this goal. The goal of the, this message is not just to deliver the message. The goal in fishing is to catch what? Fish. The goal in fishing is to actually catch fish. You might enjoy being out on the lake, but why bring your fishing gear with you if, that, if your goal is to just enjoy being on the lake? The goal of fishing is to fish, so how do you do the work in such a way that works in our culture? And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, unfortunately for those of us who've been around in churches for a while, especially if you were going to church in the 80s, a lot of what we were taught about fishing, I don't, it doesn't work for me. A lot of what I was taught about fishing doesn't work, for at least for me. I, um, I live right here in Shoreview. I live right here in Shoreview, and I started thinking about, okay, what if I tried to do the things they taught me to do when it comes to fishing? What if I went door-to-door in my neighborhood, and went door-to-door... I knocked on, on, on the doors, and I started with the question, um, something like this, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? If I did that in my neighborhood, I would be uninvited to the block party if I did that. Let's not tell him when it is, because he'll just bug us the whole night, you know? 
And if I went around our circle, we live on the circle, if I went on around that circle passing out tracts with the four spiritual laws to everybody in my neighborhood, it would be that kind of thing where when we were at Target, if I saw one of my neighbors and they saw me first, they would like hide, right? How many of you ever hidden from somebody at Target? <laughs> none of you, none of you, but I've hid. But I would become the person that they're hiding from at Super Target if, if I did this because they're like, awkward, he's going to, you know, do that whole thing. I thought about this. Um, if, if I were to invite one of my neighbors out for coffee and then in the conversation, whether or not he was asking me to, in the conversation, I take his napkin and I start drawing a bridge with a cross on it and things like that. Um, <laughs> without him asking, you know, he would just be like, I just wanted coffee, not art, you know. So again, and, and, I, and I apologize if it's coming out in a mocking way because I, my, my point is ultimately not to mock these things because if the Spirit leads you to do it, do it. The Spirit of God led people to do crazier things than that. That's, that's nothing. If the Spirit leads you to do it, do it. What I'm just saying is it doesn't work for me. And these, these ways that I've been taught to fish, if I did these things in my neighborhood and it wasn't led by the Spirit, it would scare the fish away. It would scare people away. It, it, it wouldn't work. So what I try to focus on today and what we're going to try to do here through the remainder of the series, is not to talk about programs and techniques because they change. They're contextual. What I'd rather do is say, what does the Bible actually say? And and what are the principles that seem to be more timeless in nature? So here's one of the principles, and this is the one we're going to look at today. The principle that's more timeless, there's a place to write this down too. Fishing for people was never intended to be something you do on your own, even when you're doing it on your own. You're not supposed to do it on your own. That'll make more sense, hopefully, by the time we're done. Fishing for people was never intended to be something you do on your own. Well, what we're going to discover today, I I think, is paradigm shifting, at least for for a lot of us. If you brought your Bibles, let's open up to John 14, 12. Let's take a look here. Um, This is actually fun, because I I love how how this came together. Um, As we're turning to John 14, 12, if you do have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words up on the screen. And also, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one. We have them at the resource table and they're free. Just take it on your way out um, uh, when you go. Okay, here we go. John 14, 12 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the what? Works that I do. And greater what works than these will he do or she because I am going to the Father. Now, I'm, I'm really excited how this came together because earlier in the week, I, I started around Monday kind of putting some thoughts together and this passage was impressed upon me at that time. And, and I'm thinking, okay, I can see some connections here, but I, I believe the Spirit really led us here in part because what was today's Bible reading? Today's? Bible reading was this, on our little bookmarks, on our, on our online reading. How fun is that? I didn't know that at the time. I didn't set that up. I believe the Spirit had, had wanted to, to take us to this, this place. Truly, truly, I say, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he or she do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, does some of this look a little bit familiar? We're supposed to do the what of an evangelist? The work. What I found out, I was at Bethel Seminary, and I'm like, wait a minute, because I was reading a different translation that wasn't written this way. I'm like, is this the same word that 
we were told to do the work of the evangelist, and it is. It's ergon. It's the same word. And I started looking at this word ergon, and it's fascinating. It's used in all kinds of different sources and in different contexts, but what was exciting was to see how many times that word works is talking about God's work. I was really interested to see that, or the work of Christ, or the work of God through us. Many times that word ergon is, is not, it's not, it's not just referring um, to something that we do in our own strength. Very often, it's, it's the work of God. And that helps, to me at least, it helps complete this idea of the work of the evangelist. The message is the message of Christ. The work is the work of God. The work of Christ. We're to do the work of God as we share the message of God. They're all linked together. The work of the evangelist is to do the work of Christ. And this is where my mind began connecting all these dots. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how we are like a body with many parts. And if we're only proclaiming the message, then we're just like a mouth with no body, right? We're not just supposed to be a mouth with no body. We're also supposed to do the works. We're also to be the hands and the feet and the heart and the eyes. When we come together, this is not just one person proclaiming with their mouth. This is all of us actually becoming the body of Christ. That's the work of the evangelist. And that can't be done on our own because we can't, completely represent the body apart from the body that God is putting together. And all of this is, is coordinated and made possible by the Spirit of God. You know, I think about this. We don't have one human person that's like the CEO of Christianity who's calling and making this all work together. It's the Spirit. The Spirit coordinates this body all around the world throughout history so that we don't have to look to one CEO, but, but it's God himself doing the work, spreading the message, putting us together and assembling us as he, he plans. Let's take a look at this as we continue in John 14. Let's skip ahead to 15, uh, 15 and 17. If you love me, Jesus continues on, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another what? Helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now, I grew up only hearing this verse translated as counselor instead of helper. The Holy Spirit is, is our counselor and the word can be translated as counselor, can be translated as, as, um, as advocate, but I, I, I really like that they translate it as helper here which is also within the range of meaning. Because I think contextually, that's a better translation in this case, at least if you're using English words. Because most of us, when we think of English words, when we hear counselor, we think that's someone who gives us advice. When you think of helper, it's someone that actually helps you. And the Holy Spirit is more than someone that just gives us advice. The Holy Spirit is actually doing the work of the evangelist through us when it's working right. It's not, and in fact, that, that ties in seamlessly with what Jesus taught us about fishing for people because he didn't say, I will teach you to fish for people. Come follow me, I'll teach you to fish for people. Come follow me, you'll learn some techniques that you can go out and apply. The, the translation is really closer to, I will make you into this. And how does God make us into that but through the work of the Spirit that's actually changing us, filling us, empowering it, making it possible for us to do the work of the evangelist. Um, let's flip ahead into, to, this is in um, Acts 1.8. Let's just put this one on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a very familiar passage, says this, but you will receive what? 
power. Not just only good advice. There are times where the Holy Spirit gives us insights that we would not come up with on our own. I don't want to downplay that. But it's more than that. You also receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my what? You will be my witnesses. You'll be able to do the work of the evangelist in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's also fun that today, um, that we're talking about this, that today is on the church calendar a day known as what? Anyone know? Pentecost. Pentecost. And on Pentecost, we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming down. And, and many people look at this and call it the birth of the church. Because here are these people huddled down, and the Spirit of God comes on them, and things were never the same. That's why we have the red, that's why we have the, our little tongues of fire up here. Um, so I'll try not to lean back too far. I got a pastor friend who was doing a wedding, and they were doing their thing, so he, he backed up too close to the candelabra. Caught on fire. Steve Weiss, he still has the robe. It's got a burn hole in the back. I'm serious. Have you seen that robe? Some of you have seen it? He keeps it, it's great. Big old burn hole. Catch on fire. All right, anyway, so that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, but, but anyway, th- this whole idea of Pentecost, this t- that we, we celebrate today the fact that the Holy Spirit came on us so that we're not on our own with this, but we're empowered to give this message, empowered to share this message. Um, I, I've, I've circled through some charismatic circles before, and I've seen so many ch- um, workshops on the Holy Spirit advertised. And often these workshops will have a subtitle that says your own personal Pentecost, referring to that event. You can have your own personal Pentecost as the Holy Spirit fills you. Now, that's not inaccurate, but it's incomplete. Your own personal Pentecost. Because the Spirit was not just poured out for the sake of individuals, was it? It was poured out on the church, in part to make God's body reconfigured from our bodies as he fills us and gives us different pieces and then as we have gifts and then we come together and people see Jesus as we assemble, not just Christ's likeness in us as individuals, but even more so we see the work of God as the spirit all around the world coordinates and brings this thing together. It's, it's fascinating. In fact, here's a, a real smushed summary from 1 Corinthians. If you want to look in the Bible um, at the most complete teaching on spiritual gifts, the most complete teaching you find in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And here's some excerpts from that. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. To each is given this manifestation of the Spirit for what? To give you individual goose pimples. No, it's not. For what? For the common good. To, uh, to, and then, then, here I summarize all of chapter 13 in one little phrase. Um, where Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is this love chapter where it's sandwiched in between. It's like, if you have all these gifts but you don't have love, you got nothing. Because ultimately it's about this producing this, producing love in you. So earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but pursue love. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church. The gifts are are designed to build up the church so that this message, this work, can be done as God wants it to be done. 
when I was thinking about this, my mind went to a, a comparison between God sending us in the power of the Holy Spirit together and what the Wizard of Oz did. Um, how many of you have seen the Wizard of Oz? All right. There is this scene, this is the classic version, not all the Michael Jackson version and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the classic version, uh, when they have their first audience with Oz, they come into this scary throne room and there's fire going up and it talks deep. I am Oz. And they're like, you are, wow. And, and Oz gives them a mission. And what's Oz, Oz's mission for them? To go get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. And so does he offer to help them? No, he just says, now go! And the lion takes off and flies through the window and they're all scared. And how are we going to do this? Because now they're on their own. And I'm like, often that's how I feel when it comes to witnessing. I feel like, all right, God says I'm supposed to do this. Now go. Okay. How? Now what? Do my technique? Drama and picture? I, you know, I don't, what was the word again? What was the four laws? I thought we were five, six. I, you know, the... And, we, and so we go and we have this guilty compulsion to do it because like, I got to do this or God's going to get me, you know, or, or whatever. But it's not like that. It's God gives us the power. God gives us the ability. God can give us the heart. He doesn't, in fact, this is so freeing. The results aren't up to us. The results are not up to you. And I, 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 I was reflecting on this, and I'm like, this helps purify our passion. Because we don't go out of guilt, like, I have to do this. I have to reach out because God says so. It purifies our passion in that we're not doing this so that we'll earn favor with God. The great news of amazing grace is that God loved us first while we were still sinners. So we don't do this to earn God's favor. It helps purify our passion. We do it because we care about people. And this good news of amazing grace is so amazing. And, and, and we go in the power of God who shares that passion for people that they may not be out there on their own trying to live life by their own. That they may know there's another life that goes on to eternity that you're invited into. Do you see the difference? It's not like Oz sending us. It's God saying, I am in you and through you. And the results are up to me and that person, not you. That's huge. As we go, we don't go alone. There's a place to write this down. Not everyone receives the gift of evangelism, but every Christian is gifted with the response slash ability to fish. Let me unpack this a little bit. Not everyone receives the gift of evangelism, but every Christian is gifted We're all gifted. When God sends us, he sends us with gifts. He sends us with power. He sends us with what we need. He sends us with two fishing buddies that we'll talk about in a little bit. We're gifted with the responsibility. Not just a responsibility in the sense of, I'm guilty, I gotta do this, but responsibility, the ability to do what he's asking you to do. You're sent with that. Now, there are some people who receive a specific gift of evangelism. You can open your Bibles, not now, but you can open them to Ephesians 4.11, and you can see there is an actual gift of evangelism they give some people. I heard about, um, I was at a confirmation party for my uh, niece, Dominique. And as part of their confirmation, they go on a retreat, and they bring in a speaker. And this speaker seemed to have the gift of evangelism. 
Um, and he was gifted in this way. He had an actual gift where God used him to spread the message effectively. And, and I guess during his talk, he was, he was sharing how one of the things he feels compelled to do sometimes is to just go walking and share about Jesus. So he'll just go to parks and look for people to share Jesus with. And so one day he's at this park and he's, he's just walking around. He's looking for someone to share Jesus with, the good news of Jesus. And be, he sees this guy kind of staggering towards him because the guy's drunk. And before speaker guy can say anything to drunk guy, drunk guy looks up, points at speaker guy and says, you're not going to tell me about Jesus. Before he says anything. And speaker guy, because he's a gifted evangelist, points at him and says, I am too, and you're going to listen. I don't have that gift. (laughs) That has never happened to me. Never. But there are some people who are gifted. They have the gift of evangelism. God sets it up. He uses their words. The person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, a sincere faith in Jesus Christ. Most of us don't have that gift, but we're all gifted. And I think our primary gifting comes in the form of two fishing buddies. We've already alluded to both of them. Let's make it practical. Let's just say it like it is. Here we go. Um, There's a place to write this down. You know it's two. Our responsibility comes in the form of two fishing buddies. Let's talk about the first one first, the Spirit of Christ. This is our fishing buddy. You You can't do it. You can't do the work of evangelists without this fishing buddy. Even if you're out there alone, if you don't have this buddy with you, you can't do the work of of the evangelist. Um, In fact, an experience I had made this really, really clear. Uh, I used to live in New Ulm, Minnesota. And I would go and I'd work out at the New Ulm Fitness Center. And I was working out one day, and this guy comes up to me, and he starts to fish me. He starts to to, to witness to me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun i got to see where this goes. And as he's continuing to do all these techniques that I had been taught, I start to realize, oh, this guy's either Mormon or Jehovah Witness. So this is going to get really fun. Um, so he's, sharing, he's doing all this stuff, right? He's got his version of the Bible, and he's showing me all these scriptures and, and where I'm wrong and where I'm missing the boat and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's got these magazines, and he has all these questions and, and all this kind of deal. He's got this whole deal. He brings in one of his friends th- that's like higher up than him to really make sure he's going to convince me, right? What chance did this guy have con- of convincing me to convert to Mormonism or Jehovah Witness? Less than zero, you know? And, and he is doing all the techniques, but he's got no chance of convincing me. And what, what I was thinking about this week is if you aren't if, you are, if the Holy Spirit isn't working in and through you, you've got less than zero chance. Because the people you're talking to have reasons why they don't believe. Many of you in this room have reasons why you're not able to embrace Christianity. And for me to just get up here, or anybody, to just get and try to talk you into it, your reasons are too strong for that. Not only that, but as we've said many times, our message is foolishness in the world's eyes. Complete foolishness. So we're not going to be able to convince people any more than they are going to be able to convince you unless the Spirit is opening hearts and opening minds. Here's one little passage that, that, that speaks for many. This is Acts uh, 16, 14, um, where again we see that the Spirit is at work. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said 
by Paul. That there's this dynamic where the spirit needs to be present, opening hearts and minds to being receptive to this message. So if you're fishing alone, there's probably a reason why you're hitting dead ends, you know? Um, And again, quick side note, even Jesus himself had people that rejected him. Even Paul had people that tried to kill him. And they were well successful actually with Paul and with Jesus. They actually got killed because not everyone you know, received the message. So, so it won't always work, but without the Spirit, you got no chance. We need the Spirit to be working people's lives. So here's an application for question one. In your notes, there's our responsibility and then our responsibility is one word. Let's go take a look at this. Here's, here's our related responsibility related to the Spirit. As an individual Christ follower, if you want to do the work of the evangelist, ask the Spirit of Christ to open hearts and help you recognize and respond to openings. So what is our response? Not just to learn a bunch of techniques, it's to be praying. Part of our responsibility is to to say, God, these people who I care about, please, Lord, open their heart, open their minds, and then help me to see when you provide an opening so that I may respond the way you want me to respond. That's harder work, isn't it, than just learning a technique? It, 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 the prerequisite is a relationship with the Spirit of God. But that's our responsibility. Okay, so that's buddy number one. Let's look at buddy number two real quick. Um, our first vision buddy is the Spirit of Christ. The second is the body of Christ. And you realize Christ keeps showing up here? <laughs> it's about God's mission. It's about God's work. It's about the mission and message of Christ. So our second is the body of Christ. Now, I remember my first fish, group fishing expedition. Uh, my first group fishing expedition. Um, I was, it was after my sophomore year of high school, I went uh, to a Christian event in Minneapolis, big Christian event. And it had an adult thing and it had a, had a teen thing. And the teen thing, what they were going to do is they were going to set us out on the streets to witness, okay? And the, our technique we were supposed to use was a bait and switch technique. We were supposed to walk around the park and we were supposed to invite people to a concert. Our job was to invite them to the concert and then at the concert, someone would give the message. So what we were being taught was, you do the inviting, they give the message, that's how it works. And again, I want to be careful not to completely mock this because there are times where the Spirit uses something like that. Some of you may have been reached by that. But what I want to point out, the, the light bulbs that were coming on in my head today, that is so incomplete when you look at what the Bible says about the body of Christ. It isn't as simple as you do the inviting, they do the proclamation. Because again, what you're doing then is you're inviting someone to just look at a mouth and listen to a mouth, if that's all there is to it. And how many of you know that a lot of times when you bring somebody to a Christian environment, one of the things you don't want them to do is start talking to these other Christians, you know? Because some of them are so weird and so, uh, you know, unlike Jesus, right? Right? They're so unlike Jesus that it blows the whole thing. And that's my point. It's not just about inviting them to hear the words. It's about inviting them to meet Jesus as the body gathered. I hope this is making sense because this to me was huge paradigm shifting. Because again, even as of recently, I've been taught to teach you just invite people to church. Invite them to church. I've been taught to teach you that. That is so incomplete. Yes, do it. Absolutely. Because there are times, I can't, I've lost track of the number of times with ECC that someone was invited to come 
And they come up after the service and they say, what you said, I was supposed to hear that today. There are times where God uses the words, but that's incomplete. That's only part of the equation. When they come, they should meet Jesus. When they come, they should see the Spirit coordinating something bigger than any one person. Imagine if we were hitting on all cylinders, what it would look like for someone to get invited for the first time. If we were hitting on all cylinders, before they visit here, almost everyone goes to the website. And right now, I think of the pictures that Ben has been taking and Dante, gifted people who have been taking these pictures, and people see these pictures on the website. And, and, and we have gifted people that have helped us construct this thing, you know? And, and some of you are gifted. Go on there. Help us get the words better. Help us, because that's, that's how some of the people are meeting. What if they could see Jesus before they even get here? Does that make sense? And when they do get here, what, when they start to look around and go, man, people must have come pretty early to set this up. You know, because they, they look at how, how this is thought out. And, and for some people, it's just going to be mind-blowing blowing that Christians can actually do quality work. You know, for some folks, they've never seen that. And they come around and they start to see there's depth here. You're not just putting up, you're not just decorating. You're, you're trying to create a sense, a visible sense of, of God with you. And as they go to the kids' area, they see people that really love and care for kids. And as they come to the, to the treat area, they're like, Man, people spent time because they see the gift of hospitality that God has given being utilized there. And they see gifted musicians. And they see people that are sincerely greeting them. And, and when we're singing, they look around, they're like, man, there are people here that are not just going through the motions. They're, this looks real. And, and as we're studying, they're seeing, some people are taking notes. It's, it's as if they want to actually apply this stuff to their life. Do you see what I'm saying? When they come, it's not just about hearing the words, and I will do the best possible job, and I know Isaiah does the best possible job. We will do the best possible job we can of, of giving spirit-infused, biblically accurate words, but that's just the mouth. They need to see the body, and I can't do that. I, I don't have all the body parts. None of us do. But together we can. So here's the last thing I'd like you to f- fill in um, on your blank, in the blanks. This is our responsibility then um, as part of the body of Christ. As part of the body of Christ, our responsibility then is to ask God to build this, build this church. Let me pause right there. We need to remember to pray for this that God will open up hearts, that God will give us favor, that God will use our witness, that God's presence will be here. We're, we're to invite that so that people can sense it. So it's not even just what they see, it's actually what they feel. And I've been to some church, churches before where their program, by the world standards, really stinks, you know? But you can feel God there. You know, that's the stuff we just can't manufacture that's stuff we ask for. So being prayed, God, build your church. Send us these body pieces that we don't have. Um, empower us. Send your spirit. Um, speak to us. It, so that's part of it. Ask the spirit of Christ to build this church in his likeness. Again, not, don't help us to just do a good show. Or in fact, take the word just out of there. Don't help us to do a good show. 
Lord, may, may you build us in your likeness. And then help us recognize, respond to openings. Because you're, you, as part of the body, you're on when you come. Your job isn't done after you've invited somebody. A welcoming smile, a handshake. We forget loneliness, when I see the surveys, loneliness is almost always on the top when people write about their lives, stuff they're dealing with. Almost always. What if this is a place where people could genuinely be embraced and welcomed and we're calling them by name? What if this is a place where they saw we were serving first? And, and they come in, they're going, oh, I'm going to get asked for money and I'm going to ask to work in the nursery, you know? <laughs> and what if when they come, we're like, that's family business. You come and let's serve you. Here, here's free stuff. Take it. You know if it'll help you. You see what I'm saying? That we're always doing the work of the evangelist, which is spirit-infused and is us together. And the things I've described are just first impressions. What if God was really changing us so that there's skepticism? Because it's easy to do first impressions, right? What if the more they get to know us, the more they start to see, boy, these people really are becoming like Jesus. It's as if they are citizens of another world. And this stuff is just all temporary, and they really believe that. And their citizenship is in heaven, and it's not out of guilt, but out of gratitude that they're doing the things that they're doing. What if the closer they got to us, the less they're like, ah, I knew it. But the more they just saw a bunch of people who don't claim to have our act together, but we are trying to follow Jesus, and he's changing us from within. How cool would that be? That's the work of the evangelist. And it's spirit-infused, and it's together. Well, as we close, let's close with a song that's a prayer. Um, God of this city. Uh, if, you, um, if you look in, the, I believe, the NIV and the TNIV, the passage that I felt led to, that John 14, 12, um, the way it translates it is, is that Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things, not just the works. You're going to do greater things. And what we're going to sing now is a song where we're inviting God to do greater things through us um, right here uh, where, where he's planted us. So let's pray. And then let's sing. Father, um, before we pray with song, we come to you um, just praying with words. And Lord, we do pray that, that you will take this um, prayer that we're about to offer you musically and, and Lord, that you will um, that you'll listen because well, we know you listen, that you hear, we know you hear. But we ask God that you would do this in our midst, that you would change us so that you could do the greater things right here that you desire to do. Also, Lord, as we present our our offerings to you, Lord, we pray that you will take these and use them to advance your work. In Jesus' name, amen.